Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 91 of Unblocking Crypto. Hal, great to see you again. Good to see you, Jason. All right, so the hot topics lately have all been around ETFs, so I'm thinking maybe we should start there and talk about some of the positive ETF things that are happening around the world. We've talked about GBTC and their goal of becoming a spot ETF. The The discount is now down to its lowest level, which is, I think, a 13.1% discount, which is a pretty interesting thing that, to, that we're seeing now with all this going on. But what's crazy is in the past week, there's about $800 million of money that went into it, and then another $1.7 billion that went into one of the futures ETFs which totals about $2.5 billion into Bitcoin ETF-like devices, which is puts them in the top 1% of all the ETFs out there. So it's exciting to see that there are a lot of other people that are kind of waking up to this and wanting to get exposure to Bitcoin. Yeah, I think the Bitcoin spot price jump that went into the mid-30s was that in the time that that went up, there was more money brought into the network. That means fiat money coming in, not altcoins going into Bitcoin. So some previous price jumps were rotations from altcoins into Bitcoin. Altcoin, When altcoins go down and Bitcoin goes up, you don't need any US dollars or euros or anything coming in to the crypto ecosphere. This jump was new cash and like more new cash for that jump than we'd seen all year net. So it's uh, it's a lot it's of new, it's new money large, coming in. It's the second largest week ever in its history and for, for Bitcoin future or Bitcoin ETFs. The first largest was the first week that it came out, right? So you're seeing all of a sudden it's becoming a hot topic again. And, and this is even in the midst of ARK Invest who sold off some of their position because if you got into GDBTC at the beginning of the year, you're up 240%, which is crazy, right? I mean, <laughs> what else did anywhere anything close to that? So they took some profits, although they still have, I think, 10% of their portfolio, at least in the the next-gen internet ETF that they have, is still GBTC. So uh, they still believe in it quite a bit. They just, of course, they take profits when things go up. Smart, smart advice for everybody else out there, too. Yeah, and if you're... ARK Invest, you're playing both sides, right? Because you've got an ETF request into the SEC and you're investing in GBTC. And if by some way the SEC moves forward with GBTC first and then opens the door for the other ETFs, at least you've got a good position on the GBTC so that if they blow up first, you're still making money. So it's like... It's a pretty smart hedge against the SEC there. Well, I think they were into BTC way before all the spot ETF applications started going in. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they've been doing this for a while. Kathy Wood is definitely a, more of a visionary when it comes to all this stuff and been a big fan of crypto for a long time. Yeah, I think she's got the problem of she's too early a lot and it makes her look like she's wrong and, mm -hmm. and making mistakes. But she could just be early, but she does make mistakes. I mean, anytime you make decisions, you're making mistakes, but she's, she's early. I mean, uh, everybody who's was in Bitcoin 
didn't it would have not expected that peak to be 69,000 in that last run. So pretty much everybody was wrong. I don't know anybody that was like, "Ah, this one's going to be pretty flat." So that's everybody was wrong. <laughs> so hopefully everybody's wrong this yeah. time because they're saying it's going to be flat. Now, I have heard a lot more at the cl- the more the price goes up, like when the price went into the 30s, the people are like, "Ah, oh, you know, the the cycles are dampening. There's not as much energy you know, in order to go up, you have to bring a lot more money into the, into Bitcoin. You know, a lot of that was like in the 20,000s. Now it's like, oh, we're going to, we could be 250, 400,000 on this <laughs> bull run. It's like, all you needed was a, was like one good day, like one good candle and everybody's sentiment changed completely. Well, a lot of that too is in the past, crypto and Bitcoin specifically has kind of followed the markets. And what you're starting to see is crypto is going up and the market's going down. So this uh, decoupling that we've almost been hoping for for a long time, where people flock to Bitcoin and gold away from stocks, is is almost starting to look like it's going to happen this time around. Now, whether it does or not is still to be determined, right? But it, at least it is trending that way right now. Yeah, it's yeah, one of my crypto or Bitcoin, anti-Bitcoin friends. It's like, it just trades like a tech stock. Why would I take the risk? And I'm like, okay, just wait, just watch. And so it, whenever it decouples, I just wait for him to say something he never does. Yeah, the vol- I mean, look at the volatility of Google here lately. <laughs> I'd much rather be in Bitcoin than Google right now. Yeah. So some other interesting things going on around the world. The UK just passed their crypto law, bill into law. And what it allows them to do is pretty much freeze any crypto early if there's a concern of any sort of Bad, bad actors involved. So the hope with all this is that they can recover more if something does happen. So it's becoming more and more of a trend is people want to have access earlier to kind of make sure everything's okay. So they don't continue to have all these places blow up. I mean, we're in the midst of the FTX trial and everybody's trying to figure out how to get their money back from Voyager and Celsius and BlockFi and everybody else too, right? So if they see something early, now they can freeze it. Yeah, the UK also just released a proposal, which they're trying to position themselves as a crypto hub. So the rulings or the the regulation says that stable coins will be regulated by early 2024, which is, I mean, we're late 2023. So this is by government yeah, standpoint, that's government. real fast, and it, and it'll be a valid form of payment. So I'm curious to see how that works out because you know that opens the doors for people to throw together a stablecoin in order to run and make some money in the UK. So hopefully, when they regulate things, they there's some a little bit of gatekeeping there so that you don't get crappy stablecoins that lose pegs and stuff. But they also said it's too early to regulate DeFi, so they're not going to touch it. So it's it, I read a, I read quite a bit of the language in the proposal, and it sounded like they had a decent idea of what they were talking about. So they're they're doing real work. I'd say the UK is doing real work now. The UK basically they've over the last several hundred years have exhausted all their resources. They're they're low on like everything, coal, trees, like everything. And so that's why like London is a, a financial hub because it doesn't 
eat up resources, but you can make money and you can run an economy. So for them to be on the leading edge of the crypto thing, and I think we mentioned this months ago, for them to be on the leading edge of crypto regulation and try to become a crypto hub and jump into this new financial arena makes total sense because that that's the only way they're going to survive. They can't mine or produce electric vehicle batteries or you know any of these other growth areas. So they have to do some kind of technological push. And if the U.S. is going to slow play it and they go fast, you know, if you're there first, you're going to get a lot of influx of people. Plus, the U.K. is not that different from the U.S. So you could actually pull talent from the U.S. to the U.K. for this. Oh, absolutely. I think that's already started, too. But you talk about stable coins, and I don't know if you've paid much attention to Nigeria. Nigeria has always been kind of on the forefront of usage of crypto. And during this bear market, their crypto adoption has actually grown, I think, like 9%. And one of the reasons that they're attributing the growth is stablecoins. And what they're almost determining stablecoins as is kind of that killer app for a lot of countries outside of the U.S., right? Because if you look at the Nigerian dollar, which I think is called the Nyara or something like that, in the last year or so, it's lost about 65% of its value to the U.S. dollar. So for all these Nigerians, they're getting into USDC, I think is the, the main stablecoin over there, but they're seeing their value stay somewhat level compared to the rest of the world. And, and it's becoming pretty common for a lot of the merchants over there to also accept USDC as a form of payment. So it's, it's interesting to see. Now, the crazy part about all this, right, is that Nigeria decided to not allow uh, banks to actually deal with exchanges, crypto exchanges. Kind of what the U.S. did, where they shut down the major banks that were dealing with any exchanges and kind of left a lot of these crypto companies high and dry. So what that's enabled is a lot of the peer-to-peer transactions to happen. And the company that's taking the most advantage of that is Binance. So Binance has a peer-to-peer network that allows people to, I'm assuming they take a small fee, I haven't dove into it a ton, but they get a small fee and they kind of match up the marketplace from individual sellers of US dollars and whatever the Nigerian dollar is as well. Yeah, I think the the stablecoin use case of being an easy, easily accessible dollar or like dollar proxy for countries whose currencies are falling apart is the probably the strongest non-Bitcoin use case. Like it's a, as far as real world use, which again, man, I'm Bitcoin. So it's like, how is this good for Bitcoin? It's great for Bitcoin, right? Because if you go out of a dollar, if you go out of your local currency that's falling apart in Nigeria and you get into USDC or USDT or whatever, then you can see, oh, you're you're basically foreign exchange trading without all of the leverage and crap that comes with foreign exchange trading. And so you're like, okay, well, I'm in the dollars now. Well, it won't take long for them to figure out like what's going to beat the dollar, you know, like the dollars losing traction against goods and services. What what can I do? What else can I do? Or at the very least, if they're, you know, they're worried about peer to peer transactions. If you go down the road far enough, you could, you know, be on the lightning network and exchange Bitcoin. So I think I'm, I'm fine with that. One, if it gives people in Nigeria and other countries an opportunity to beat the currency debasement, I'm all for it. Right. Like 
is it Bitcoin? No, is it Bitcoin? Such a it's like a long play, but the U.S. dollar is so simple for everybody to understand that they can they can get like the first ten or fifteen percent of how to work in Bitcoin and crypto by just going into dollars, and they're just called stable points. So no, I I think that's great. I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, I think the bigger theme is how to get more adoption in crypto, right? And stable coins are a lot easier for people to understand than Bitcoin because everybody's like, well, I don't have $35,000 to buy a Bitcoin. And I was like, well, it's divided into 100 million pieces. <laughs> you could get however many you want. So that's not, that shouldn't be an issue. But yeah, I mean, understanding the dollar definitely helps the progression to understanding how Bitcoin and the rest of crypto works for sure. They don't understand how the dollar works either. Right. They don't understand how Bitcoin works. They don't understand the dollar works and they don't understand how all that global dollar hegemony works. So for me, it just skips. It's like training wheels. So I know in the past week or so, we talked about Hong Kong and some of the crypto regulations they were doing. The next person that has thrown in their hat and all this has been Taiwan. And they are moving forward. I think the first reading of their crypto regulation ideas is happening here pretty soon. What's different is while Hong Kong was totally against virtual assets, Taiwan doesn't really have a perspective on staying away from the derivatives and, and all that stuff that Hong Kong was. But what's cool about Taiwan is they're going to define virtual assets. They're going to set operational standards for the asset operators, and then they're going to make sure that customers are protected. So it's exciting to see more countries taking a more proactive view in all of this, especially, I mean, Taiwan is also kind of one of those that it's a very important company or country, right? I mean, semiconductors is a big deal for them to continue to utilize crypto and become a bigger hub is, is, is a big deal. Yeah, I saw a Twitter headline that said Taiwan was considering different crypto assets as legal tender. And I couldn't find more than one article about it, but it seems like Taiwan kind of hit the news with some pro-crypto regulation or at least pro-crypto discussions of developing regulation. So if the more countries that do this, the better off we are, right? Because the U.S., you know, in the U.S., we have, you know, every time something bad happens in the in the world, Elizabeth Warren tries to tie it to crypto and how crypto did something wrong. And this, you know, she wrote an article. There's a Wall Street Journal article. She wrote a column. She's, you know, there's a hearing for basically a Hamas funding committee or the finance committee met to discuss how Hamas was being funded. And she made sure that crypto was a discussion point. And basically use that Wall Street Journal article that I think we talked about it last week, $134 million in crypto to Hamas. And then it turned out to be thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. It, like, it kept whittling down. And it was pretty funny because, well, it's not funny. It's like she's using the oldest techniques imaginable, right? She's using like weapons of mass destruction so we can go to war in Iraq type of technique, right? Let's Let's get Let's get a, an old school newspaper to write an article, and then we'll use that information to persuade the public into doing what we want. And it all fell apart on her because there, there, there's receipts for crypto. And 
then someone pointed out like one Nick Carter put out bounties on Twitter for people that could analyze the data and on do chain analysis and and combat kind of the the lack of truth and transparency in the article and so he ended up giving out well it started out at five hundred dollars for each person that could come up with something valuable and then other people started matching him so i think it went into higher ranges but it, he said 500 bucks so that way nobody has to pay taxes which is like awesome an awesome way to set a number but there at the last time i looked there were seven different people that found different stuff like they went and found every single address that was tagged as problematic for hamas and they found all of the sign signatures that were on the letter that <clears throat> Elizabeth Warren sent to the White House to spur this committee meeting. And, you know, they, I mean, they just went through and come through everything. And it's just regular, like, crypto people or Bitcoin people going through it all. And it all, and one guy found that there since October 7th, so in the last month since the Hamas attack, that there'd been like $9,000 in crypto transferred into these addresses. 2000 was frozen by Binance and 7000 was frozen by Tether. Zero dollars in crypto since their attack. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Iran is funneling money in. I mean, and this in the committee, I did listen to some of the highlights of the committee hearing. Hamas taxes every dollar and good that's shipped in, even for humanitarian aid, at 16.5%. So if we send we, the UN, anybody, sends a million dollars, they're getting 165 grand. So that adds up quick when you talk about the amount of money that goes into Gaza. So I, to me, it was like a pretty awesome visualization of the game's different, right? They can't, they can't use the same tactics that they used to use to persuade the public to get behind something they want to do, whether they want it, whether it's true or not, right? They, once it's in a, once it's in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times, they can use it as something credible, and it all fell apart on them, which is which is pretty nice. So, with the UK taking the lead or taking a lead, Europe with their regulation, you've got to think the US is is making a turn on this. And if we have a bull run, like an early bull run with this ETF sentiment, the pro-crypto, pro-Bitcoin sentiment during the presidential election is going to be way ahead of where it normally is, because usually the run's going as as the election's happening. So for me, let this happen. It seems like the, the Bitcoin people or crypto people aren't going to get outsmarted by Elizabeth Warren, right? So to me, this is a it's a, it's a fight I'm willing to, I'm willing to have, like, I, I can watch this and I think I'm on the side that's going to win, despite the fact that the other side has a lot of traditional power. But I think we've talked for a long time that be careful about what, what comes out of the Wall Street Journal, right? So this is just another one of those things that it's like, really? Because, I mean, if you look at the references they use, the sources were from LPAC, which is one of the leading blockchain forensic firms and they even came out and said no 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 no. The, what you're referencing is completely wrong right 
all these de details are, are not what, what you're saying. And the problem is Elizabeth Warren also has Sherrod Brown, who's the head of the Senate Financial Committee or whatever, one of those banking right. committees or something like that. So those two, those two are somewhat fighting this out. And yes, Hamas has gotten some crypto from or some money from crypto. A lot of it's been locked. But the numbers that Elizabeth Warren are saying are 100x or more higher than what was actually ever happened. So it's this whole using FUD to try to get her agenda passed. And what they didn't talk about is, I think it was Israel Now or Crypto Aid Israel, something like that, in the past 12 days, got $185,000 in crypto donations, right? But no one's talking about that. So yeah, 102 lawmakers, they got duped into thinking that crypto is the problem. And there's a lot of companies calling for the Wall Street Journal to come back and say they were wrong. And I mean, you got guys like Brian Armstrong, who's the head of Coinbase that is being very public about this too. The question is, will the Wall Street Journal ever respond or do we just continue to lose trust in mainstream media moving forward? Well, I was, I got on a deal with the Wall Street Journal for a dollar a week and I canceled it because it was a waste of money. So I did uh, the Wall Street Drive. I, I, when I first started that subscription, I, I thought it was really good. And then it just started falling apart and it's gotten worse and worse ever since. And so on a few of those clips that I watched of that Senate finance hearing, the the expert that was being interviewed was that when they started talking about crypto, she said, yes, you know, there's some crypto inflows and this and that. And she said, we shouldn't talk about it very much. Because if you compare it to the other sources, it's very small. So she's, she was like, I'm happy to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it a lot because there's no reason to. It's not a big deal. And Fetterman is sitting there in his hoodie asked, why doesn't Hamas use their bank accounts and, and their American Express cards to do these things? And she says, they do. <laughs> it's like, that's like, uh, you know, they freeze them. They freeze their accounts, they get new ones, they play that game. But it was like, do a little research, man, before you ask a question. Like this person's, you know, her career is based around the intelligence of, of how these terrorist systems work. Maybe be a little bit more prepared than to throw her a softball that's, you know, that she crushes right back at you. So, you know, like I said, I, if Fetterman's on that team, I'm more than happy to be on the other side of that team. Like that's, I don't, I don't want to be on the Elizabeth Warren and Fetterman's team. Yeah. So let's go back to some more positive news because, I mean, super frustrating for sure. But Mexico has also kind of been in the news lately. And I know what a year or so ago after El Salvador declared Bitcoin in the legal currency, we talked about which places were next. And Mexico made kind of the short list. There is a Mexican senator, uh, Kempis is her name, that... She's been one of the biggest reasons that Mexico is uh, about to release a CDBC as early as 2024. And it's mainly just to get them understanding on kind of crypto. We talked a second ago about how stable coins are almost one of the reasons that people are getting into crypto, right? And then you can move to Bitcoin. Well, she has recently come out and said that she wants to make Bitcoin legal tender in Mexico. Right. So but the CDBC is kind of the first step and she's getting pushback, which is fine. But that's all part of the process. They put a Bitcoin ATM in, inside the government building, which helped ask some more questions from, from everybody. 
And what's also interesting is the word on the street is that she is planning for a presidential bid in 2024 for Mexico. So another pro-Bitcoiner that is theoretically going to be running a huge country <laughs> out there. And, and one that could make a big leap if they're really going to do something like like what they're talking about doing. Yeah, I mean, the peso hasn't been performing too well against the dollar or goods and services, you know. So I do think that there's a bit of a race that's on to see if Bitcoin can get more adoption faster because I think people, once they see what they can do with the CBDC and how they can turn gears, they can, this this dollar, these these this currency expires in six months if you don't spend it sort of thing. Or we see that you've spent too much money in this area. You are going to throttle things for you. So if they get there, part of me says if CBDCs come out first in a country, the population is going to be skeptical about all crypto. And the other part of me says if they get CBDC'd and they hate it, it might push them into Bitcoin. I'm not, I would rather just Bitcoin adoption kind of naturally take place. Bitcoin is just a slow moving tank though. Uh, you know, it's, it's built to just not die. And the adoption happens at whatever rate it happens where CBDC they're built to be forced onto people. And so adoption would happen a lot faster. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I'd obviously much prefer CBDCs not happen, but there's been so much smoke with CBDCs the last year or two that somebody's coming out with them and hopefully it's somebody small and they screw it up. That would be the best case scenario. Well, I, so I agree. I mean, CBDCs are not the answer in my opinion, but considering how many people are scanning their eyes to get WorldCoin that is worth nothing, there's going to be a lot of people that will line up to sign up to get a CBC, CDBC if the government's just going to send them money, right? So I... Unfortunately, I think it's it's probably going to happen no matter what anybody believes, especially in these smaller companies that have a lot of room to grow and become more important. The hope with all this is it's just a way to get them more used to crypto and adoption of crypto and Web3 in general, which then drives them into to Bitcoin once they actually understand how it all works. Yeah, I, I mean, it's going to happen the way, whichever way it's going to happen. Like, there's not a lot I can do about it, but I think I would prefer a country that doesn't have it together, roll out the first real CBDC and totally screw it up. Then it would at least force real countries to check up, make sure they got their stuff right and just buy more time. Like time, like the time piece is a big deal. So we'll see. Mexico's... I don't know. I don't know. I I just I don't have a lot of confidence in like the 60, 70 percent of the population that isn't tuned in. You know, a lot of people just do what the government tells them to do. And they're just kind of they're just born into this world where that's what they do. And so it would be a lot easier to get adoption for a CBDC when the government says, yep, this is just how money works now. Like at least half the people are just going to do it. So. I don't know. I don't like I don't like it, but it's going to happen. Yeah. So, well, speaking of a country that is getting a lot of positive news and, and not because of a CDBC is El Salvador. We feel like we're starting to talk about them almost every week. 
But what's interesting is Van Eck, which is one of the large financial firms, they had a strategy advisor that came out and he views El Salvador that they are poised to become the Singapore of the Americas, which is a pretty big deal, right? I mean, for El Salvador to be kind of near the bottom and making this huge jump. And the reason that he's saying that is because he thinks there's going to be a bunch of new capital and immigration that will will drive all of that. Um, and a lot of it, if you look at their bonds that they did, they had a 70% return this year, I think is what they're at right now, which is <laughs> insane. I'm not even sure how that happens. Especially but if you Morgan help the U.S. came out and... U.S. bond funds are down. Some of them yeah, are down yeah. like 50%. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, those, the bonds aren't. Crazy. The bond funds are. Yeah. So J.P. Morgan has even started to take notice, and they put out something saying they're expecting El Salvador's bonds to be investment grade very soon. Um, so on top of all that, I mean, you look at El Salvador, and there's a, a billion-dollar investment by Volcano, Volcano Energy to do Bitcoin mining down there. And the the author of Bitcoin, the Bitcoin Standard, is actually one of the economic advisors for El Salvador. And with his insight, they have now eliminated taxes on technology innovations down there. So a lot of really cool things happening and that is way outside the box from what a lot of other countries are even thinking about. So it'll be intriguing to see what happens there. And how many other countries try to follow in its footsteps to jump up the the rankings of countries like El Salvador is doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I looked at flights to El Salvador for spring break this year. Just, I would have never done that if it wasn't for Bitcoin. I don't know that I'm going to take my family and young kids to El Salvador or not, but it would be, it would, I mean, it's, it's getting attention. Like I looked at it last year. So I think El Salvador is on the right track. And so this kind of dovetails into a piece I wanted to talk about, which is a golden cross on the technical analysis for Bitcoin. In September, there was a death cross where the the 50 crossed the 200. And now that inverted quick, like it with this bounce back, the price came back up. So this is a huge bullish signal. Everybody that does charts knows about it. And so when money comes in, more money comes in kind of kind of thing. So if you're El Salvador and you're sitting on a bunch of Bitcoin that you bought at something like in the 20s or low 30s or something, I, I don't remember what their cost basis is, but you've got the bonds, you got this, you got that. You got to be feeling really good right now with all the attention on on the ETF bringing in, I mean, tons of money from pensions and investment vehicles that can't buy spot BT Bitcoin. So then that rolls into the having that rolls into what's typically a, a ramp up in, in price. So, I mean, if you're El Salvador being first and being right is huge. Now the next cycle, you know, who's, who's going to jump in because El Salvador jumped in, in the equivalence of next year, right? It was like, I'd have to look at when they did that, but it was kind of in the beginning of the run-up of 2020, 2021. So somebody's going to look at them and be like, man, they were right. If we jump in now at 35 
if we're in where they're in, we don't, we skip a whole section of the stress and, <laughs> and worrying about a Bitcoin's going to fall apart on you when it's down at 16 or 18 or 20 grand and your, your investments underwater, they can just skip that. They can basically take El Salvador's same cost basis and then have more upside and, and less downside risk if you believe that Bitcoin is going to continue to do what it's been doing. And so I hate to be so optimistic, but I've got to think another country is looking at what they did and thinking we can be exactly in their shoes, but we're the second country, not the first, which is way easier. And we're, we're it's three years down the road and we're getting it for the same price. So to me, I, I think you got to, you got to see El Salvador as, as blazing the trail. And the same with Michael Saylor. Like the FASB rules have changed, the price, I mean, we're above his cost basis, like he's in the black now, but all these other companies got to be considering doing what he did because basically you watch what he did, you watch it for three years, the price is somewhere close to what he's bought on average. So you can be in his shoes if you just follow his playbook and you're not having to buy it at 60, 70, 80, 100,000 of Bitcoin. So I'm too optimistic. There's just too many different ways money comes into Bitcoin right now. Well, from that perspective, I think it makes it a lot easier for these institutions to buy a spot Bitcoin ETF than trying to hold their own Bitcoin somehow or figure out how to do that. Right. So, yeah, I, <clears throat> right. agree with you. I think that's coming. No, that's a good point. I, the, the, the corporation I think, could say, all right, I'm going to do the Bitcoin. I'm going to do the sailor plan, but I'm not going to have to hold my own Bitcoin. I can just buy this ETF. Yeah. And pensions and everything, right? I mean, they kind of what we just talked about. There's sixty or seventy percent of people out there that aren't very smart, so you you want to make it as the least error prone as possible, and that's almost putting it in the hands of the Black Rocks and all the other guys saying, "Okay, you hold it. We'll just tell you when to trade it." <laughs> yeah, and part of me wants one of these smaller ETFs to kind of mess around, rehypothecate the funds, you know, loan out the Bitcoin, like play the old school games and get smashed. Like Bitcoin goes on a run and they get leveraged out, whatever they're doing gets called and they tank. And because you can't play the same games with Bitcoin that, that you play with other assets. So that, part of me wants, like that would be nice because then the big guys play it straight. You know, it was like BlockFi. BlockFi had a straight up plan with over, over collateralized loans and they would have been fine until they weren't, until they gave up on, on being responsible. And then everything fell apart for them. And so I think that the greed is just too great. And once these companies have $500 million worth of, worth of Bitcoin, and in, even though it's other people's money, they're going to try to find a way to get yield off of that asset. In addition to the freaking half a percent or whatever, they're going to charge people to hold it. They're going to try to figure out a way to get yield on it. And then something's going to happen. It's going to fall apart and they're going to get screwed. And then then we'll see how that goes. So I, I can't imagine that an ETF just sits on the sits on the Bitcoin and collects half a percent because that's they're not used to making half a percent. They're used to making way more than that by loaning stuff out. We'll see. But I'm glad that I have Bitcoin in my hard wallets. Yeah, so one of the other interesting things that I saw, and we talked about, I guess, banks almost being getting more involved, right? So in Thailand, the fourth largest bank, K Bank, 
has just acquired a majority stake in a crypto exchange over there, the top crypto exchange in, in Thailand. So they spent $103 million buying this, but it's becoming a bigger and bigger piece around the world. You're seeing more of these old school banks that want to get involved in the crypto space. I mean, shoot, JP Morgan's been doing that for a while, telling people they're not. And now you're seeing all these other banks getting involved in ETFs as well. So it is becoming a, a common place to see across the world where banks want a piece of the action and they don't want to let this pass them by. Yeah, and $130 million when interest rates are 1% or 0% isn't, is not a, a lot of money. $130 million when a commercial loan's 8%, it's a lot more money. I mean, it's it's not a billion dollars, but it's that acquisition. You, the money's just not money's a lot tighter now. So that's it. That's it's tougher to it's tougher for companies to make that decision. Yeah. So we talked about Van Eck a little earlier on their views of El Salvador. There was a, another Van Eck discussion or article that came out about Solana. And I know everybody has not been a fan of Solana just after the whole FTX thing and a bunch of question marks. But Solana has been on kind of a tear lately, and it's one of those most hated altcoins that seems to be coming back from the grave. But they came out with their projection of Solana by 2030, and right now Solana is at about $32 <laughs> right now, right? So worst case, they called it $9.31, and I'm amazed they went down to the penny on this, right? But okay, $9.31 is worst case. Best case was $32.11 and 23 cents which um, in comparison, their ETH target by 2030 is Ethereum almost at 12,000, right? So you're talking about over 100x possibility for Solana. And the reason behind all of this is they're saying that Solana could be the first blockchain to have to accommodate an app with over 100 million users, which is kind of interesting. So, I mean... I hold some Solana, not that I'm proud of that, but I shoot, it'd be great for it hundred X, I guess, at this point. So yeah, interesting to, to see that other companies been amazed that Solana like isn't Solana dead. That it feels like one damage. of the cryptos that wouldn't survive the winter. Like it doesn't, I mean, I don't know what they got going for them. And I, I don't know that I, I haven't done a ton of research. I'll be honest. The bad news that comes out of there is pretty significant. Sometimes they just don't work. Like sometimes the network just stops working. You don't hear that a lot, even from other crappy, scammy altcoins that it's like, it's not working again. So yeah. for them to still be alive, yeah. I mean, to me, at this point, you survived. Whatever, If you are still trading on any major exchanges and you've got some value, then you, you made it, right? Like we're the bottom's over and you're going forward. Now, saying that out loud, it's like, Bitcoin and everything's going to drop <laughs> and show me a new bottom. But Solana survived. So, may, I mean, there's only upside after this. Like, it's if you make it, the money that comes in, some of it finds its way into other altcoins, and Solana's going to be one of them. Well, right now, I think Solana has a very high transaction speed, right? I mean, 50,000 TPS, something like that. From what I remember, I want to say their Solana Pay system partnered with MasterCard or maybe Visa one of those big companies out there. So they kind of had that going and it's still one of the blockchains that people are doing gaming on just because the transactions, the costs are so low, so low. There's still a lot of stuff happening on the layer twos on Ethereum, 
but they're just not hitting those transaction speeds yet. So will Solana last forever? Who knows? Right, right now, they're one of the ones that somewhat shows some promise. And even though they had a bunch of projects leave Solana, they're, it sounds like they still have some pretty smart people working on it. So I don't know. It's Unfortunately, I pay a little bit of attention because I have some. I wouldn't say I'm putting more money there at all, by any means. Yeah, and it's about um, that it's time where we hear a lot of positivity about stuff because be prices have been positive news follows. So, you know, I'm not going to buy anything other than Bitcoin. And then if, if something does go nuts, I'll sell it and buy Bitcoin. Like all of the lingering stuff that I've picked up along the way is it's just if I sell it and buy Bitcoin now and it goes up, I'll kind of kick myself. And if I don't, I don't I'm not worried about it. Yeah. So one other thing that kind of popped up on my radar and probably because it affects me, LastPass was one of those password managers that had a an issue a year or so ago where someone was able to kind of steal some data. Now, theoretically, LastPass is the zero knowledge type technology. So their, your password is never stored on their, their servers and all that kind of good stuff. But what they're finding is that there's still been quite a bit of crypto stolen from users that had their keys and things like that, that they left on LastPass. So it was kind of a, I think the latest was on the 25th of October. There was another four and a half million dollars stolen from about 25 different users, which brings the total number up to about 35 million of crypto stolen from users of LastPass, right? Which, I mean, if you look at it, still 35 million is small compared to the 1 billion that's been stolen in 2023, but that's still a lot of money. So it's kind of a reminder that if you're not putting your crypto into a hardware wallet and not leaving your mnemonic keys on a password manager like LastPass, you need to get away from doing that. You need to get it onto a hardware wallet. You need to have something not on the internet with that, that pass key so that people can't hack in and get it that way. So, and there's a, there's and some links in the so show notes. So when I you first want got into crypto, on that too, but, uh, it was like, don't even happening. your private keys on your keyboard. Like if you're like, if you have Excel and you're typing in a password, so that you can screenshot it and save the image somewhere or print it and not even save it. It was like, don't even type it. There's key loggers that are going to pull it off. They're looking for 12 random words or 24 random words and da, 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 da. So it was like the level of paranoia about getting hacked or, or having some kind of malware that's going to give away your private keys. That paranoia was insane. So to get into crypto and be like, ah, I'm just going to use this this software to put keep my passwords and everything in it. People are like they're skipping a step about that, that you need to be paranoid. I mean, you're I value my Bitcoin at five hundred thousand dollars per Bitcoin. So if I have that kind of level of funds, I'm going to be careful and. So if you have Solana and you're like, you know what, I'll sell it when it hits 32,000, but I'm, I'm, I'm buying into this forecast and I've got a thousand of them. Okay. You might want to not give your passwords to some third party software. I mean, 23 and me got hacked 
the government gets hacked. Equifax gets hacked, right? The people like the companies that protect you from being hacked get hacked. So you can't do that. It's like it says it on every single any if you do 10 minutes of research on how to protect this stuff, it tells you not to do this. So if you $35 million, like you said, it's not a lot of money. It's a ton of money if your money got stolen. If it was a grand, you'd be like, I can't believe I just got screwed out of $1,000. I can't believe I made that mistake. So, you know, it's easy to talk about other people's money. Like it's ah, $35 million, not a lot. It, if somebody had four hundred grand, it's a lot. It, it kind of doesn't matter who it is. So don't do that. <laughs> like don't store your stuff where people can steal it easily. I mean, I, now writing it on paper and, and, you know, keeping it above your mantle is probably not a great spot, but you know, do what you're supposed to do. There's a million different conversations about hardware wallets and different, different key savings pieces of metal, all these different devices to keep your stuff safe. You know, don't, don't put it on some software. You have no idea if they are protecting your stuff or not. Yeah. So I would say for the, the big stuff, I think that's super important. And for well, you, yeah, if you only have one, focus, it's easy. That's true. If you, if that's, you got a hundred different crypto said than done, well, it is easier to do, right? When you're messing around with, yeah. When you're messing around with 40 different, yeah. When you're messing around with 40 or 50 different coins and they all have different wallets and all that kind of stuff. It gets a little expensive to spend a hundred dollars on steel plate to put these all the stuff more reason on to buy none of it. You're not buying even that much of some of these coins, <laughs> or they're not worth that much anyway. So yes, when it becomes worthwhile, yeah, well, yeah, maybe that's true too, right? But yeah, but I, like I said, it's affected me, so I have moved all my major things over to a hardware wallet. There are still things that. Unfortunately, I do have on LastPass, and I'm migrating to a different password manager right. that uh, theoretically doesn't have the issues that LastPass has, or at least the data hasn't been stolen yet. No, that's about it. It's just nice cool, to but I had anything bullish else again that, and actually uh, you see price going up while you're bullish. Like that's nice. You know, it's after a couple of years of expecting the price to go up and it goes down, it kind of gets old. So it's nice when it goes back up kind of funny i feel like we talked about it a year or so ago that we we're both getting close to being like are we sure we got into crypto like was this the right thing I, to do i told my buddy i got Should a bitcoin friend here in town and, and we were having lunch and i was like i'm kind of at the point where i don't need to buy any more bitcoin and he was like this is the bottom signal that i needed <laughs> he's like that's as close as i heard you being negative about this and he's like I I think we're at the bottom, and he was like pretty much all, pretty much right. Like that was like a twenty grand. That's awesome. awesome. Thanks, Jason. Cool. Well, how as always, it's great to catch up, and we'll talk again next week. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions, and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.